1: And welcome to Dear Hank and
0: John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank.
1: It's a comedy podcast for me and my brother John. That's that other guy. We answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Hey, John, how you doing?
0: I'm doing well, Hank. How are you? I'm
1: good. I'm good. I have, I have a coffee, which is probably a little bit dangerous, uh, but I wanted I wanted to bring my A game, so I decided to do this on stimulants.
0: I do feel like you're a person who, by and large, does not need a ton of caffeine to get going.
1: No. Well, I mean, I'll be honest with you, and this is a difficult thing now that my life has changed. The This trick that I used for years to be really, like, sort of, like, up and get em and go and, like, really energetic kind of person was I would sleep a lot. Mm-hmm. I would sleep nine hours a yes. night minimum. It's smart. And then I'd get up, and I'd be, like, ready to take on the world. Like, everybody's like, Hank's never tired. And I'm like, that's because I'm asleep most of the time.
0: Yep. Yep. That is one of the benefits of not having a child. Uh, yes, it
1: is not. It is no longer my life. Though I do find I have a very uh, wonderful ability to—it's uh, one of the great privileges in my life that I can set my own schedule. And so I try. I've tried to— Since paternity leave has ended, not schedule anything before 11. And that allows me to still sleep a fair amount. It's just not all at one go.
0: Yeah, I haven't, uh, I don't think I've slept like eight hours in a row more than like 10 or 20 nights a year since my kids were born.
1: Yeah, that seems like it's going to be the case. Um, and it's almost, I, I remember I was talking to uh, to Dave, who, who uh, helps run DFTBA, and he was going out to VidCon, and he has two young children, and uh, it was like, it's going to be really intense, you're going to be on all day, and he was like, am I going to get to sleep eight uninterrupted hours? Because if so, this is going to be a vacation like I have never had before. And I was like, you will. You will get to do that. So have a really great time having the most intense uh, weekend of my life that will, to you, seem like a great day
0: off. Hank, would you like a short poem for today? Do it for me, brother. All right, Hank, this poem comes from Ogden Nash, and it's very, very short indeed. It's just a couplet. It's called The Fly. Mm. The Lord, in his wisdom, made the fly. And then forgot to tell us why. Hmm. I love a I love a good Ogden Nash poem. Nothing like light verse. It's the most underappreciated kind of verse. We've got plenty of heavy verse these days, but uh, <laughs> I like a good light verse. Maybe you should get into that business, John.
1: Where's Where's all your light verse?
0: Unfortunately, I'm not good at. Uh, I don't have an ear for poetry. Like I can't uh, I can't mm. hear the rhythm of it in my head very well. But. Um, I am trying to write a, a book of another kind. Yeah, me so too. hopefully I'll get that done at some point. Oh God, it's hard. It is hard. Um, But among the things that could be difficult in our lives, it is a nice one to have uh, how hard writing is. So
1: Yeah, you know what's the dumbest thing about writing I found is that like literally anything can happen. You're just making stuff up and you yeah. got to make up the best one of all of the infinite number of things that could happen. So uh, Yeah, I don't really buy into
0: the argument that, um, you know, like people who suffer from mental illnesses have like secret talents or whatever. You know how that's like a commonly uh, romanticized uh, thing about mental illness is that like, oh, well, but if Carrie Matheson just goes off her meds, she'll catch the terrorists in Homeland or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't really buy that argument, but I will say that one of the benefits to my obsessive thought spiraling Uh, One of the very few benefits is that it uh, allows me to cycle very quickly through all the things that might happen in a fictional situation uh, and to choose from among them the most devastating. Uh, So I have found that helpful in my writing career, although Again, it's only really useful when I am well enough to uh, be able to write in the first place.
1: Indeed. Um, Well, now now let's use that as a jumping off point for uh, our first questions. Does that that sound good to you? Sure. All right. This question is from Katie, Katie, who asks, Dear Hank and John, it's going to be a quick one. My longtime partner and I are getting married in October, and clearly the first thing I had to do was put together the music for the reception. I have two questions: How do I convince him to let me put "Pen Pineapple Apple Pen" on our wedding playlist? And two, any other song recommendations? Well, Katie, first, I don't have an answer for number two,
0: but for number one, don't do that. What is "Pen Pineapple Apple Pen"? Really, really?
1: Oh, you're so, you're so, so, as they say, out of the loop. Okay, we're gonna pause the podcast. We're going to just hit the pause button on
0: the podcast, I'm going to listen to this song on YouTube, and then we're going to get started on the podcast again, and then I will come back to you uh, momentarily with my review of the song. Hold on, hold on. Okay. I have now uh, watched this 51-second video, uh, Pen, Pineapple, Apple Pen, which inexplicably has 182 million views on YouTube, and I'm just going to tell you, Katie, right now, uh, as memes go, that one is not going to last. You know what it's going to be like? It's going to be like if you uh, brought Ikea monkey to your wedding. It's just not going to hold up as a meme.
1: (laughs) Yeah yeah, you just have to you have to consider. I mean, do you want your, I mean, I guess maybe you want your wedding to be a snapshot of that moment in time? But to me, it's it should be more than that. It should go deeper than that. It should be a try to have it be a, uh, a more of a timeless experience. And uh, uh, but I mean, looking back, I don't know what what we played at our at our wedding. I know that the songs that that we sort of like uh, started off with were both classic. Uh, songs that had been around and had, had displayed their longevity. Uh, I don't have it be like the song that you dance with your dad to. Um, never mind. Definitely do that.
0: What was the first song you had oh, with uh, with Catherine? Do I, you remember what your I, first song was? What your first dance oh, song was? Oh,
1: God. Oh, God. I want to say it's Nothing Matters When We're Dancing, but I think that's wrong, and I think... That it was some, it was like Walking After Midnight or some Patsy Cline song, and I feel real bad that I can't remember right now.
0: Is Nothing Matters When We're Dancing, is that a Magnetic Field song? I love that song. Yes. Oh, it's God, that's such a beautiful song. That whole album, uh, this is a little personal, but whatever, we're getting into personal stuff. Uh, that uh, album, 69 Love Songs, Volume 1, was playing the first time Sarah and I made out, so I have extremely fond uh, memories uh. of all the songs on that album. Um Interesting. Uh, ours, <laughs> we danced to this Ryan Adams song um, I don't remember the name of it But I know some of the lyrics So I'm going to Google it now I miss my family <laughs> And I miss Kentucky uh, Being some of the lyrics The song is called Oh My Sweet Carolina by Ryan Adams We, uh, we almost danced to a beautiful song By Old Crow Medicine Show um, But then we realized That it was about a brother and a sister And so it didn't seem right
1: Ah yes, uh, uh, there's uh, there's a similar thing to that. The uh, the 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 music that we used to start off Brotherhood 2.0 every episode of Brotherhood 2.0 ever it is called "Brothers on a Hotel Bed," uh, which I was yeah. like I just I just like looked literally on like LimeWire the Napster substitute and I just typed in "brothers" and I like looked at all the songs that yeah. had the word "brothers" in them and I was just and and like now I've listened to the words of that song and I'm like wow well, that's not super appropriate to our we should joint pause project. to be
0: grateful we should. to Bright Eyes. Is that the name of the band? No, it's
1: the Postal Service.
0: If We should pause to be grateful to the Postal Service for, um, well, both for the heroic job they've done delivering the mail here, there, and everywhere <laughs> for the last uh, 192 <laughs> years, but also uh, for never suing us and forcing us to take down every single Brotherhood 2.0 video entirely because of that, like, eight-note jingle. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. That would have been really bad for us and and quite mean.
0: Thank you, Postal Service. We appreciate that. Um, And also, uh, everybody who works at the Postal Service uh, for delivering many packages, mostly my books, but also other things, uh, to people all uh, all around the United States. Uh, Hank, I have another uh, thing to ask you, which was, do you remember what your first dance was with mom? Because I had a great one.
1: Yeah. No, I don't. I don't. I feel bad. But I know what yours Oh, man, was. Mom
0: is going to listen to this. She's going to be devastated. <laughs> My first dance uh, with Mom was to the uh, song Mama Tried by Merle Haggard. Uh, which, uh, the, the chorus of which is, uh, I turned 21 in prison, serving life without parole. No one could turn me right, but mama tried, mama tried.
1: All right. Well, I feel like we haven't answered Katie's question, but I also don't know that I, uh, not that I don't
0: care about Katie. It's just that I think that Katie can make her own call here. So do you want to move on to the next question? Sure, Hank. This question comes from Aaron who asks, dear John and Hank, I have just been endorsed for the skill science on LinkedIn by a person who I am sure I do not know. Should I endorse them for a skill? Thanks. Oh yeah, definitely, Aaron.
1: You should definitely do. I like that you can be endorsed in science.
0: Yeah, uh, science is what a, a weird a big, skill. Uh, yeah. I'm pretty good with Microsoft Word. Of course, I'm science. You know, I'm great at that. <laughs> of
1: course, I've I've been endorsed by a Stranger in Science on LinkedIn. So hire me now. Uh, yeah, I mean, what can you do? Anything? Can you just say whatever, or is there like a specific? Like a drop-down list because it feels like if you can endorse somebody in science, you can endorse them in anything.
0: See, I feel like yep. what the the right thing to do in this situation is to endorse this stranger in the skill of endorsing because mm. it's the one thing that you know they're great at.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the uh, you should you should I, I agree with that. Um, what about like something really esoteric, like um, like penguin dissection? Like just a really mm, good that's really good, yeah, really good at like autopsies on penguins. like that's 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 what boy. I've seen this person do a lot of autopsies on penguins, and they he always gets to the bottom of the the cause of death for that penguin.
0: By the way, it may be obvious to people who have used LinkedIn ever once that Hank and I haven't <laughs> ever once used LinkedIn. Maybe. We're not totally sure yeah. what LinkedIn is. Like, we've seen it on Google search results, of course, <laughs> when, like, looking up old friends from high school or whatever, but we've never, like, yeah. been to it as a website.
1: I actually, I, I have, and I go to LinkedIn and I have a LinkedIn profile and people send me messages and I think that sometimes they even pay LinkedIn to send me a message, and I look at them about once Ugh. every year, and I always feel mm-hmm. really bad because it's a. It's sometimes it's people that are like perfectly like good questions or uh, or they are interested in working with one of my various uh, enterprises, and. Uh, but, but eight months will have passed, and I'll be like,, eh, it's probably not worth me writing back to them now. You know,
0: Hank, what I like um, most about your LinkedIn profile, and I'm on it right now, is that your job title uh, is Younger Brother.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's my job title at, at Vlogbrothers. You say that for
0: the last ten uh, years and one month, you have been the younger brother of uh, on uh, on Brothers, And you also call yourself a creator, <laughs> uh, which is an interesting job uh-huh. title and host. Now, see, I would not. If I was giving you a job title, it would not be creator and host of anything. I would give you the job title uh, CEO and uh, um, Chief Innovation Officer. I feel like that's a very LinkedIn job title. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I would make you the Chief Innovation Officer of SciShow and the CEO of um, of Complexly Productions
1: yeah well i guess I, I probably haven't changed it since uh since complexly started existing have i yeah I haven't
0: well you should have me write your linkedin profile it's my gift you are it's the thing that i'm best at in the world uh just kidding they won't even let me view your whole profile because <laughs> i don't have a profile of my own and they say i can set one up for free but i'm not i just i i take it like i have enjoyed so much not having a linkedin having there be one social network where i do not network uh, all right, Hank, let's move on to another question.
1: All right, thank you for ending the part where we make fun of my LinkedIn profile.
0: It is a little bit of a terrible LinkedIn profile, but you're a good person.
1: Okay, thank you very much, I'm glad glad to hear. Uh, John, I have a question from Tyler that is important to my life and so I have to ask it. Hopefully you will have advice for both of us. Dear Hank and John, I recently got a haircut and I found myself in a dilemma. When the hairdresser asks, how would you like your haircut? I have no idea what to say. So I usually just respond, uh, short? Obviously, this does not help. Fortunately, this doesn't usually prevent me from getting a good haircut because I've been seeing the same person for many years. However, I'm going off to college soon and I will have to face this question in an unfamiliar barber shop. Any dubious advice on what to say in this situation is greatly appreciated. Do you have to be a Tyler? Help, John, help me because I have the same problem. They're like, what do you want it to look like? And I'm like,
0: hair. The key, Tyler, is not moving. Like the mistake that you've made everything that you've done is flawless up to this point where you chose to leave home for college. Um, I guess like what I would do in that situation I would probably try to offer my hometown barber incredible incentives to relocate with me to college or alternately I would just try to make sure I have four or five trips home Per year, so that I can continue to get my hair cut at the same place and just uh, say, do exactly what you usually do, but maybe slightly shorter so that I can buy an extra week. Uh, of this haircut. I feel like I'm a terrible person to answer this question since I um, have had the same hairdresser for years and he is wonderful and a genius. Uh, and when I didn't have him, the only thing that I could say was that my hair is thicker than you suspect it will be. Yeah,
1: I, they, they always say that to me as well. We have the good green hair jeans they're always like wow look at all this hair and I'm like I don't know how to feel about yeah, that yeah they
0: say that to me less these days but yeah
1: <laughs> um the uh, so Catherine does the thing where she will actually, she's going for a particular look and she's seeing somebody new or she's doing a new haircut. She'll like get a bunch of pictures and she'll put them on her phone or she'll print them out even and bring them with her. I just can't, I can't bring myself to do that to like, to like print out a picture of like David Beckham and be like, make me look like David Beckham. It just feels, it uh, feels wrong. Uh, it feels like in, in, in violation of some contract I've signed with society for some reason uh,
0: yeah I mean it's not wrong but I also like to I also like to empower uh, the hairstylists that mm-hmm. I work with like mm-hmm. they know hair much better than I do so I right. want to acknowledge that like while it is my head of hair they are also the expert in the subject and I'm kind of like trusting them in this deal mm-hmm. and so I, I want them to mostly feel like they can do whatever they want but then to be fair if I don't like what they do I will never go back to them
1: Right. Well, I have this problem where I, uh, I, I wait too long to make my hair appointments. And so when I call the barbershop, they're like, uh, wh- who would you like to see? And I'm like, uh, Thursday. Uh, I, <laughs> whoever is available Thursday. So I, I've seen pretty much everyone at the barbershop that I go to. Uh, and there's like 13 of them. So I really need to center in on somebody. But, uh, but I, and I have several that I like quite a lot, but none of them uh, are available when I want them to be, uh, which, which oh, is- I only
0: work with David. Yes, I so really I should So I think the, the answer here is clearly to import your uh, hairstylist mm-hmm. to your college town through whatever means uh, is necessary. Let's move on to another question, Hank. This one comes from Amina, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I am a 14-foot-tall octopus with three heads. Hank, it is the question we have been waiting for all this oh, time. Oh, thank goodness, a space alien. Uh, just have been and pl- just tell us what to do. We've made a hash of this, Amina. We've done a terrible, <laughs> terrible job with our planet. We've (laughs) we've made very marginal progress and at great cost to biodiversity please just come and take us over and make us better
1: yes we need a couple of things from you we need we need flying cars and we need you to just tell us what to do just
0: a cheap sustainable energy source a better political system um like explain to us like what we what should we do about the electoral college yeah, no, we
1: just we need your unique authority and superiority. Okay, go on with the question. I
0: am ready to give my world over to a sentient 14-foot-tall octopus with three heads, which I think says a lot about the situation <laughs> in which we find ourselves, Hank. But unfortunately, the question goes on, no, I'm not. Dang it. Ah. Uh, but sometimes it feels that way uh, because of the way people treat Uh, or look at me. You see, I'm a young Muslim woman of color who wears the hijab, and I'm currently studying in a very Uh, male- and white-dominated subject at a university. As a result, uh, I have to deal with racism and presumptuous comments about my faith and ethnic identity. I know that you guys say that we should imagine other people complexly, but when I try to get a deeper understanding of the people who misjudge and stereotype me, I find myself excusing their actions, thinking things like, well, he might be saying offensive stuff now, but he's a good person deep down. Maybe he volunteers for charities on the weekends and helps old ladies across the street. And this leads me to wondering if maybe... The stuff being said to me is my own fault, which I know rationally it's not. My question is essentially this. Is it always a good idea to imagine other people complexly, especially when they refuse to do the same to you and when doing so may harm your own perception of yourself? I thought this was a really interesting question, Hank. Now, I I have to say, uh, personally, um, I don't think that imagining other people complexly means uh, forgiving their failures to see you as a full and complete human Mm -hmm. it only means trying to see them as a full and complete human so it doesn't mean saying oh they're a good person deep down or that other things that they've done might excuse their failure to imagine you complexly Um, so i think like that's where uh, that's where the logic break has to be you know where, where you have to say like this is not okay uh, but at the same time, th- that doesn't mean that this person is merely evil.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the The thing that happens is when you when you do this, you start to be less angry at them, um, and that can feel like may- maybe, like you you still have to you still have to create an explanation for why this thing is happening, and if if the explanation that you then create because you're less angry at them then turns inward upon you, then then that is not it's it, it's a really difficult thing to to try and figure out the difference between like understanding someone and and like forgiving them or uh, or or excusing them. I guess forgiving is different from excusing. So the difference between understanding and excusing is. Um, I think is really important, and they can seem like the same thing. And if you are in a way excusing them, then you, if you're trying to find another w- another place to put the blame, and you put it on yourself, then that's obviously like the wrong the wrong way to go.
0: It is really exhausting in practice to have people make assumptions about you, to have people see you as less than fully human, and uh, really, it's it's really difficult to. F- Figure out a way uh, through that when it's part of your daily life. And I don't want to minimize that. And I also know that Hank and I come at this from a very specific and, uh, you know, very deeply advantaged point of view. Uh, But I, I do think that ultimately, if. It, yeah, I think it's really important, like Hank said, um, to—is s- uh, there—well, I guess more I would just leave this as an open question. Is there a way to understand without excusing? Mm-hmm. Not a yeah. rhetorical question, genuine question that I don't know the answer to.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because understanding is so so vital to the progress of our species, and uh, but also so is holding people accountable for— them taking actions that that hurt other people so we need both of those things right and 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 like in the fact that it falls upon the people who are being hurt to figure that out isn't unfair but it does um it it should not solely fall upon them but um and and i i do my best to not allow it to slowly fall upon them and to, yeah, to, to think about that as a person who doesn't experience that. But it's always going to largely fall on those shoulders.
0: Hank, uh, there's another question I want to ask. It's from Val. Val's house caught fire this week,
1: leaving that mofo charizarded. Is what Val said. So,
0: that's a direct quote, just to be clear. like We're not um, we're not making fun of this situation. The beginning of Val's email is, my house got fire this week, leaving that mofo Charizarded.
1: <laughs> okay. But in all seriousness, everyone, including my two kids and my husband, and our three cats are safe. Uh, uh, aside from a few burns on my husband's arm, that's terrifying. However, we lost three rooms of our house. Also, my husband and I are musicians and a band together. We lost our recording and PA equipment, along with some very sentimental items. and our daughter's Skylanders and Pokemon cards. The list could, of course, go on. Needless to say, the most important thing is that everyone is safe. We have very good insurance that that is taking care of our needs, replacing everything, and even putting us in temporary housing until the repairs are finished. However, friends and family, and acquaintances, keep offering to donate money. I suppose that we could use it for deductibles and other expenses, but since our insurance is taking such good care of us, I feel guilty taking it. I've been telling people to donate to the Red Cross instead, but still, it ends up in my pay. PayPal. Though I'm extremely grateful for such great people in our lives, and really just for being alive another day, how can I move past the guilt I feel for taking money from people? I realize that they want to help and it's the only way that they know how, but I just feel like there are so many people suffering worse than we are. Oh my god, it's burning, Val. Thanks for reminding us, Val, that it is indeed burning.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. Make sure that—this is a good time, Hank, and I like to do this on a regular basis. Make sure right now, today, that the smoke detectors in your house work, because that could actually save your life. Just do it. Just make sure that your smoke detectors work, because that uh, can save your life. Indeed. Okay. That aside, that aside. Uh, I think Val has to accept the money in this situation, don't you?
1: I do. And Val can do whatever Val
0: wants to do with it. Val can uh, give yep. that money to charity. Val
1: can uh, take that money and buy better PA equipment than they had before and invest in their business. Right. Um, yeah,
0: this is something I struggle with a little bit in my own life as well. But uh, when people want to give you a gift, uh, accept the gift. It, mm-hmm. It's good to accept the gift uh, because I think if, if a gift is really freely given, uh, people want you to accept it and they'll be grateful to you for accepting it. And if you end up donating that money to charity, if you end up you know, spending that money on Skylanders and Pokemon cards, whatever you end up doing with it, uh, that's, that's your call. But uh, to me, the accepting of a gift, while sometimes very difficult and awkward and uncomfortable, uh, is is a way of acknowledging and honoring uh, a gift freely given and is worth doing.
1: Yeah, and there's a certain amount of uh it, watching this happen to someone else makes us want to help it, almost so that we know that we will be helped ourselves when and if it does happen to us. Right. And uh you know that is part of how society functions and it's not a part that like gets I think recognized by uh the you know a, a lot of the uh a lot of the structures of our society but it it you know in the best cases it's how society can function because communities are strong and and you know when communities are strong and when there is you know enough to go around which is the best case scenario um and uh and and so i think that it's it's almost it's almost a part of a community being itself is is, is having those moments where things go wrong for people in the community, and everybody reaches out to help, and uh, and that's how you know you're part of a community.
0: Yeah. So just pay it forward, Val. Uh, when your neighbor's house burns down, um, <laughs> yeah. right? You know, put some money in their PayPal. Seriously, though, I hope your neighbor's house doesn't burn down. This is a one-time thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Everybody, don't don't have to check on. Make sure that you didn't leave the cookies in the oven because they, they could catch on fire. I have another question, John. Are you ready for that?
0: Um, you know what I was just thinking about, Hank? Okay, yep. <clears throat> uh, I was just thinking about how, you know, when Snickers sent me those 378 Snickers bars, they probably just did it as a, as a gift that, that they wanted me to freely receive. But I felt so bad about getting the gift that I've, um, you know, turned it into a tremendous amount of marketing for them that probably generated way more than 378 Snickers bars worth of sales. And... In a way, like I haven't been following my own advice. So I just want to say (laughs) to every candy company in the world um, that next time you send me 378 of something, I will not be mentioning on this podcast. I will enjoy that candy and or money and or anything else you want to send me as long as it's 378 of something. I'm going to enjoy that in private gratefully uh, a gift freely given and freely received.
1: Well, John, I have to tell you, I've done a little bit of work in corporate marketing, and uh, they know when they give you a gift that they are uh, have a chance of receiving it back, and that's the <laughs> only reason they do it.
0: Well, Hank, uh, with that noted, that it's all re- a
1: su- it's it's all a subtle manipulation, uh, and and uh, and I I watch it happen and watch people be subtly manipulated and be like, well, I won't be affected by this, and then I watch them be affected by it. And that's how
0: it all works. Oh, I want to be very clear that I've been deeply affected by the generosity of, by my, of my friends at the Mars Company. Um, yeah, there's no getting around it. It's, it's made a huge difference in my life, which reminds me that today's podcast is brought to you by Snickers. Oh, God. Snickers. Delicious, nutritious. It's just as good as an energy bar. Anything else that you could eat, uh, except that it's uh, slightly less expensive than a Cliff Bar, Snickers.
1: <laughs> Podcast is also brought to you by the social network work site LinkedIn. LinkedIn, we link you in. I think it's their tagline.
0: <laughs> I mean, if it isn't, they've wait. Let me. I'm Googling. We link you in to understand. <laughs> Hank, that is not any website's tagline, and you oh, like well. I. You've just you've just stumbled upon a million dollar idea, which is selling the catchphrase "We link you in" to LinkedIn.
1: Yep. Well, I, I've already registered uh, we link you
0: so it's done. Contact the CEO of LinkedIn, Reed. Sure. Did I get it? I have no idea. <laughs> I did get it. I did get it. God, I'm, I'm so good at knowing Silicon Valley CEO names. Today's podcast is also brought to you by the Postal Service. The Postal Service, a wonderful band, and an excellent federal government service.
1: And finally, this podcast is brought to you by Space Aliens. Space Aliens, hello! We're down here! Please, help! Seriously, we need it. Seriously, Space Aliens. This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by ZocDoc. Look! There are, I think it's fair to say, some imperfections in the American healthcare system, but there are ways that it actually has recently gotten easier. I don't compromise on a lot of things, but I do not love feeling like I can't find the right doctor for me. And I've gotten very lucky that I have found some good doctors for me. When it comes to your health, there shouldn't be compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines slash their family group chat slash their crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or they happen to take your insurance. Instead, like you don't have to keep going back to a doctor who you don't like. You can check out ZocDoc, a place where you can find and book doctors who make you feel comfortable, who listen to you, who prioritize your health. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual, real patients. Booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even sometimes score same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then you can book a top-rated doctor today. That's z dot DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash DearHank. Every time, I know it's coming, and I'm like, I'm going to have to say doc, ZocDoc.com doc, right now,
0: aren't I? And then I do. I'm getting good at it, everybody. ZocDoc.com. Seriously. All right, Hank, uh, I want to I ask you a, a serious question. Okay. If I may. Mm-hmm. Um, because you highlighted it, and I assume that means that you want to answer it. OK, this question comes from Ben, who writes, "Dear John and Hank, while listening to your show, I began to wonder about the stars and navigation on Mars. Oh. Would Mars have the same constellations and star layout as Earth, or would its angle in space be different enough that we could have new constellations? I'm personally a fan of the razor being a new one. I don't know if that's a reference to the Motorola razor, like the <laughs> cell phone, but uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> if they would be the same, how far would you have to go before they are different? Are we talking Jupiter or Neptune or even further? So mm. Hank, if I'm standing on Mars, would I see the same constellations that I see now?
1: You would, but the but the navigation would be different so mars uh so the angle that Mars is at has an effect on where how the constellations spin around the planet, but it doesn't have enough like it's not far enough away for the constellations to be different. Um, and indeed, you would have to go very far away for them to start to be noticeably different um like light years but um but there uh but but yes the the thing that would change so the constellations would all be the same but uh but the like the north star and the south star would be different stars in fact i don't think there there are stars there, so there would just be like sort of arbitrary spaces in space and then um the uh, the planets would also move differently, because, obviously, for obvious reasons. Because Mars and Earth, and you would see Earth, Earth would be a thing. Mars would not be a thing in the sky, um, <laughs> obviously. You couldn't see Mars from Mars. And uh, and so the, all of the, like, when Saturn was in Virgo stuff would be different. But, um, but the, the constellations would all be the same.
0: Well, that's kind of cool. Yeah. So there's really no reason to go to Mars before 2028, is what you're saying. Um, well, I... I well, well, what? You know, just, uh, just that there's really no reason to go to Mars.
1: Well, the, the nice thing is that we wouldn't really have to worry so much about navigation, because probably by the time we got there, we would have a pretty good like GPS system set up anyway. Uh, but if you had to, you could definitely navigate by the stars on Mars. You would just have to do it slightly different than you would on Earth. And I'm just ignoring whatever John is saying, because I don't think that it's very helpful or
0: nice. Well, Hank, I'm not trying to be nice. I'm trying to get our podcast renamed Dear John and Hank, OK? Uh, I have another question for you. Well, the
1: good news is I made made that bet for 2028. So you're just going to have to hold on to this podcast for a long time. Even though I'm almost certainly going to lose that bet, it's still going to be called Dear Hank and John for a long time. So I have made the smart call here. And I will never...
0: The interesting question is whether AFC Wimbledon is going to get to the Premier League oh, before do human beings get a to Mars. Bench? And that is a really... That is an interesting bet because it is probably a tight It race. could be,
1: yeah. Well, actually, I, I would definitely um, take... But the...
0: we'll have to think about like yeah. what would be good mm. uh, stakes in that bet because it's not going to be something as minor It's just the name of the podcast. Hank, I have another question for you. Okay. It's from Anna. Mm. And she writes, Dear John and Hank, my husband and I are moving to Texas soon, and we plan to buy a house. We both would like to have enough land that we can plant trees. And since land is inexpensive compared with California, where we currently live, it looks like we will be able to. My question is, how many trees would one person need to plant to offset their carbon footprint? Oh, Oh Anna, mm. I have terrible news.
1: Oh, I yeah, I have even worse news than John has.
0: What is your news?
1: Well, my news is that the, probably just the the amount of water that you would have to pump to your house would outweigh yeah. the amount of of carbon you're going to sequester in that tree.
0: Unless you are in a uh, a very sort of humid wet wet yes. part of Texas, which is not the Texas of of my memory. Uh, I, I, yeah. I can remember I like don't. four different Texases. There's the there's the Houston, <laughs> yeah. there's the Dallas Fort Worth area, there's the Panhandle, and then there's the uh the southern part of Texas. And what I don't remember is like a huge rainforest.
1: Y- yeah, yeah. I remember that there's a river that doesn't have any water in it, so that's not good.
0: Yeah, so if you live near um, a great water source or in a very wet area, then that's good news for your for your carbon footprint, because then planting trees can matter a lot. But in a lot of places, uh, there just aren't naturally that many trees. So if you are in a place, though, Hank, where there are a lot of trees, how many trees would it take? And the answer is a lot.
1: A whole lot, yeah.
0: I I looked it up, and here's a little bit of context. In the best possible rainy situation, uh, if you drive a small car that gets 40 miles per gallon, um, about 25 miles per day, you're looking at uh, needing to plant 17 trees per year. Mm. And that's assuming even... that. Assuming that all of your electricity, all of your heating uh, all come from uh, uh, renewable energy sources and you do nothing but uh, drive that car. Like, for instance, you don't uh, create any food waste (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> or eat any meat uh, or anything like that.
1: <laughs> I, I do have some good news for Anna with regard to trees, though. There are other benefits to them besides sequestering carbon. You can have them shade your house, which can decrease your energy bills. So if you live yep. in a, a hot place, as Texas is, that is very sunny, uh, you can use them for sh- for shade. And that can actually decrease your uh, the amount of energy that you consume. They also... Uh, uh, help to moderate the climate. They are well, their habitat for uh, for wildlife, uh, and they are lovely and beautiful things. And they are in themselves valuable things. So don't n- don't not plant trees. Definitely plant trees. It's a good thing. Um, and you could even plant fruit trees, and then you would be getting uh, you would be getting food from them as well. Uh, so uh, it's, it's not going to uh, eliminate your carbon footprint, but there are lots of good reasons to plant trees besides the fact that they just look nice and will be a pleasant thing to have in your
0: life. But Hank, do you want to hear something that's absolutely amazing? Mm-hmm. There are, in fact, four regions of Texas. <laughs> were you right about which ones they were? Oh, God, no. No, I was completely wrong. Um, there's the coastal plains, the north central plains, the great plains, and the mountains and basins. Uh, The mountains and basins, Mm. including like uh, El Paso and uh, Amarillo being in the Great Plains, the uh, North Central Plains, including your Abilene's, your Wichita Falls is. And then uh, Houston is in the uh, coastal plains. So anyway, regardless, I hope you have a wonderful time in Texas. I think it is maybe the most underrated state. You know, who's big on Texas is my, my lovely wife. She really enjoyed her recent art assignment trip to Houston. Uh, There's a good video coming out about that soon over at The Art Assignment. Hank, it is time to move on to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Is there news from Mars this week? Uh, There
1: sure is, John. Uh, Do you know about Spirit and Opportunity rovers? Uh,
0: Yes, there is a minivan on Mars, and then there is a much smaller uh, thing on Mars as well.
1: Yeah, so those two little smaller things, Spirit and Opportunity, uh, have now been on Mars... Uh, for 13 years, and Spirit is dead. Wow. Spirit, Spirit is dead and uh, isn't talking anymore. I, I think that Opportunity is still alive, uh, though I don't know that it can move. I should have done some research on that beforehand. But uh, but Spirit, Spirit, uh, I, I'm just going to go back in time a little bit and tell you a little bit of of Spirit news that's from quite a while ago. But I feel like it's underappreciated. So one day, this this will rover. Which is great, and I just made a, a metal earth statue a sculpture of it, which I love and turned out really well um, it uh, it got its foot stuck, its little wheel started spinning in the in the dirt and it got stuck and they were like, oh gosh, now we're now we're in trouble but they got it out and then they looked back at where its foot had got stuck and its foot its wheel as it had gotten stuck had actually dug a little hole and they saw at the bottom of that hole a mineral deposit that we think could only have been created through the action of a hot spring. And so this is very weird. So we have not just water at that place. We have water that is being geothermically heated by the interior of Mars and would then be bubbling up, containing a bunch of minerals and then depositing those minerals. That's weird. That that happened right where that little rover's wheel got stuck. Maybe it's not so weird. Maybe there are these geothermal. There was this geothermal activity all over Mars. But it's amazing that we happened to find it right there. And I think it's such a cool story. And this was a long time ago. But I wanted to bring it back and let everybody know about that amazing uh, discovery that Spirit made before uh, getting getting uh, well and truly stuck and not being able to to power itself anymore back in 2010. Um, and, uh, like, wow, hot springs on Mars was a thing that actually existed. Uh, If only, if only the, you know, humans on Earth had coincided with hot springs on Mars, like what a different history we would be living in right now where we could go to a warm, wet Mars, which existed a long time ago, but did exist and apparently for a pretty long time. Pretty cool. John, you got any AFC Wimbledon news for me?
0: Hello, John from the future here. So my recording cut off while I was telling the news from AFC Wimbledon, which means that I get to now close out the podcast entirely by myself with no Hank at all. The news from AFC Wimbledon is this. Uh, It appears that AFC Wimbledon has well and truly and finally jumped over the last remaining like regulatory hurdle standing between Wimbledon and a return uh, to their spiritual home in Wimbledon itself Uh, at Plough Lane or very near Plough Lane. Uh, So that is really, really exciting. For many Wimbledon fans, uh, the thought of having a home back where they belong is as important or maybe even more important than uh, being a full-time professional team in the football league. So uh, there's still, of course, the problem of, uh, you know, paying for the stadium, getting it built, uh, getting it up and running and everything but it's it, the plans are beautiful you can look at them online it's going to have 11,000 seats to start and uh, can go up to 20,000 which is probably big enough to support a Premier League team maybe someday so really now it's just a question of whether Wimbledon are going to get to the Premier League before humans are going to get to Mars and with that I shall now close out the podcast on my own thank you so much for listening you can email us at hankandjohn at gmail.com our podcast is only as good as your question Actually, on average, it's not nearly as good as your questions, which I'm sorry about. Thank you for all your wonderful questions, and I'm sorry about our suboptimal potting. Dear Hank and John is produced by Rosiana Hals rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our editor is Nicholas Jenkins. Victoria Bongiorno is our head of community and communications, and our music is by The Great Gunnarola. You can follow Hank on Twitter at Hank Green. I'm at John Green. Thank you so much for listening. And as we say in my hometown, don't forget to be awesome.